This episode is proudly sponsored by The Helix, a new innovation district located in New Brunswick, New Jersey, the heart of the Northeast Corridor. The Helix provides a critical ecosystem for innovation by offering a range of physical environments, a vibrant community of leading innovators, and a strategic central location on the Northeast Corridor. The Helix will uniquely mix workspaces, classrooms, laboratories, venues, and collaborative environments creating a dynamic community and setting for innovative minds. Universities, startups, Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurs, researchers, and many others will all call the Helix home. Thus far, the Helix has assembled a community of innovative private and public organizations, such as Rutgers Health, the New Jersey Innovation Hub, RWJ Barnabas Health, Hackensack Meridian Health, universities from Ireland and Israel, and others. The Helix is where ideas will come to life. To learn more, visit helixnj.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From NJ.com and the Star Ledger, welcome to the Rutgers Rant, your one-stop podcast for the Scarlet Knights. With your hosts, Steve Politi and Rutgers insiders, Brian Fonseca and Pat Lenny. Let's start shopping. All righty, everyone. Welcome back to the Rutgers Rant, our Turkey Week podcast. 27 to 6 loss to Penn State that I feel like I've seen numerous times. Uh, it's just one of those games, fellas, where, you know, you, you, you go to interview the players afterward and it's uncomfortable because there's really not any questions that are beyond the very obvious thing that happened here. Penn State is simply better, more talent. It's just better in every area, and it's just hard to come up with ways to grill a player on what happened when that that's the answer. And that, that's kind of how I feel about this one. I don't know. How did you guys feel? Yeah, similar. I mean, Penn State's defensive line is one of the best in the country, just absolutely filled with talent, twitchy dudes who just explode off the edge. How am I going to blame a kid like Reggie Sutton, who's a great story, but he has no chance against Chop Robinson, who's going to be playing in the NFL in a year or two? Uh, or the rest of the offensive line, which has been good this season, but you're towards the end of the year, players are falling down like flies because it's the 11th game of the year. You just played three of the best defenses in the country. Look, we thought that maybe Penn State would be demoralized because they just lost their season essentially by losing to Michigan. They looked pretty good. And uh, when they're playing like that, it's really almost impossible for Rutgers to move the ball because they couldn't get anything going in the running game. And then the defense... As good as it played, that, that's about as good as they can do. And they gave up 27 points. So, yeah, they're just overmatched. I think if you get Penn State at a different spot in between two easier opponents, maybe you have a better chance when they're the third opponent you play in the toughest stretch of the season. It was just a really big ask. And you re- it's not like you can really blame Rutgers for how things went. Pat, there was that one stretch where Rutgers' defense stopped Penn State on a fourth and third, first a third and two, and then a fourth and one, maybe one and a half. Um, just a great moment. You're like, all right, well, if something's going to happen here, maybe it'll happen. This, this could be, this could be the momentum shift, but you know, the same, the same story with the offense. And that was what I was going to say about asking the players the same, same questions, uh, right. It's the same problems that keep coming up week after week. 
So what what are what are we doing to change it? How much how many times can you ask that question? But you're right. Like the offense has just been uncompetitive against these really good defenses. And it really makes you question whether it's self-inflicted or is this just a result of playing great competition? It's very well documented that these three teams that they just played are statistically eighth or better in total defense. Mm-hmm. Giano kept calling them three of the five best defenses in the country. And certainly you can argue that and there's no question. The question is, it's kind of a catch 22. Is it, is it, is Rutgers offense really that bad? Or are these defenses they're playing just that good? And it's certainly a little bit of both to me, but that's what you got to weigh here and figure out how you're going to uh, evaluate this situation. Yeah, over, over, and it was uh, interesting that, and Brian, you wrote about your film room t- review today, that you can make an argument that despite what we're saying, the six points, the, I don't think, 220-something yards, uh, that this might have been Gavin Wimsett's best game against a top defense. He he completed this season high percentage, 62.5%, and adjusted was 73%. So we've been screaming, you know, accuracy, accuracy, accuracy. He was better this week in that department. But yeah, but and he, and he ran the ball. He ran the ball with authority. And there's that first drive, and you come back to this, and we've seen this, and Pat, you pointed it out, about this team getting into the red zone against Ohio State and against Penn State, getting inside the seven-yard line and not scoring touchdowns. And you have that first drive. Gavin rushes it. He gets down to the one-yard line. You think it's going to be, I think, second and goal at the one, and there's a holding penalty, and it brings it back. And now you're looking at second and goal from the 17, or whatever it was. You're like, well, forget it. <laughs> you're not, they're not going to score there. And it's just things like that that seem to happen every game. Yeah, um, you can't really afford to beat yourself if you're Rutgers, and that's what they've done in the red zone. They did it twice against Penn State, two killer holding penalties that make it impossible to get into the end zone. Uh, LJ Patel kicked two field goals, though, and now he's on pace to have the greatest single season in program history, which is nice, I guess. I thought Gavin Wimsett was good, and especially given the pressure he was facing. He had the least amount of time to throw of any game this season. Greg Schiano joked that on the sack he fumbled the ball— by the time he dropped back, Chop Robinson was already in the backfield to tackle him, just untouched. So uh, he had dealt with a lot. The running game could get nothing going. Kyle Manunga had 16 carries. By my count, watching the film, 13 of them, he was touched by the time he hit the line of scrimmage. Like, he just had no space to work with. The, the offensive line could not contain Penn State's defensive front. And when that happens, it's almost impossible to move the ball. So I think that Gavin being able to complete those passes uh, he did get some help from his wide receivers. I thought Isaiah Washington had by far his best game of the season. A couple of really impressive. Mm-hmm. There was one circus catch. He catches the ball just before it hits the ground. Uh, Ian Strong made a couple of nice catches. So I thought the passing game, again, nothing spectacular. The numbers aren't great. But when you compare it to what they've done, when you uh, put the context in of what they were facing, I was encouraged by Gavin Wimsett. And even the first half of Iowa, if you include that, I- I'm not entirely convinced that this will make him a world beater. But compared to some of the discussions we were having in the last couple of weeks, I think if he puts together a good game against Maryland, a good game in the bowl game, there's some optimism, some hope going into next season. No? Pat? I would say, <laughs> I would say, like, just to go back to my last point of like whether you you truly buy what Shiano is saying, that they struggled so much because these defenses are that elite versus Okay, they they played well enough offensively in games against the teams that they're better than. And and that's how you just have to evaluate the situation. So I would agree with Brian if if Rutgers does have two decently offensive games in the next two games, that you will say, okay, Rutgers offense was fine 
against teams that it was better than and then non-existent against teams that it wasn't as good as and that's just yeah. where we are i'm gonna say the word the word fine is doing a lot of work in that sense <laughs> and it is it, but, fine it will be fine the running game especially will have been fine the passing game has has been below average even in, in some go back and look at it even in some of those games to be fair and again i'm not this is the sake of discussion you're right that it does this is what you have to hold on to if you're a Rutgers fan there's really not a plan b here you want you have to think okay he took gavin Wimson will have taken a big step from his from this year from last year to this year if he takes another big step you will have uh, an average ncaa quarterback that's what we're talking about i think right we're not, we're not talking about he's not going to take a step where he is you know, uh, Michael Penix, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to become, you know, that's just kind of where we're at. And that's, believe me, that is still an upgrade. Um, but if overall we are talking about baby steps and, and you're still wondering, is this going to be enough to beat these teams? And I guess that's what it comes back to. Like, and everyone kind of <laughs> got mad at us for, you know, for kind of saying, oh, they, they had still have a signature win and I get it, but this is the, these are the teams that are on the schedule. You know, we wrote, we've written endlessly about the, the six wins and how important that was and, and how this pro- program will made, made progress this year. But now you're looking at it like, okay, this is, this is where you go. This is where you're going. This is what's on the schedule. You're never going to get a break, really, from top competition. Washington replaces Michigan. USC replaces Penn State. You know, it's still – you're still playing difficult teams. And I guess that's what it comes back to. Will you feel comfortable that this offense will be better against those teams next year? I, I do think USC being on the schedule is a big help because they may be the softest defense in America, and Lincoln Riley is going to maybe get fired after he lets Gavin Wimsett throw for 400 yards against them. Um, I think – I agree with you. I think the next step is to have a quarterback where if he throws for 200 yards, it's not absolutely stunning. Gavin Wimsett has thrown for over 200 passing yards in one game in his entire career against uh, against anybody, Wagner included. So Michigan State last year, right? Is that what it was? Correct. Yeah. And then this year he came close against Wisconsin. Rutgers had over 200 passing yards, but Evan Simon got that just over the hump there. And I think to the point of the competition, I think we have to find – we're talking about teams that Rutgers is better than and teams Rutgers is nowhere – near against right maybe maryland and whoever they play in the pinstripe bowl georgia tech whoever Mm -hmm. is that middle ground and then we could kind of have like a more fair barometer to go against and i think maybe virginia tech and northwestern are we're not giving them enough credit i don't think they're world beaters i think people are getting a little too excited about the fact they're going to make a bowl game but uh maybe they're not terrible the way we thought they were in september so but i think that's like that's the those are the games we're going to have to evaluate after all this is all said and done. How do they perform against the okay teams? Right. What do we think about? So there's so much discussion about the offense and someone put it on Twitter and I apologize. Whoever you are, you're absolutely right that it's possible to feel good about the progress and where the program is and, and still be very frustrated with what you're seeing offensively. You know, again, it was another very vanilla game plan. Uh, it, granted, it did. We talked about the first drive, moved the ball well. It seems like later in the game, once Penn State says, okay, this is what they're doing, you know, then, then the offense, then there's, not, there's none of that anymore. Second half against Iowa, second half against Penn, uh, Penn State. You know, the offense is not being productive in a meaningful way. We asked Ray Shiano about that, Pat, and it's one of these answers, like, where it's, it's you know, if you're tired of hearing him say it's a developmental program, Turn off your radio. I guess that's the yeah. best the best way to put it. Yeah, and and the game plan made it so easy for Penn State to be an effective defense because from our vantage point in the press box, you could see the defense that they were putting on the field and, and how many guys they dedicated to stopping the run. It was just so easy for them to put eight, nine guys 
at the line of scrimmage on first and second down when Rutgers was going to run and then have their edge rushers pin their ears back and get after Gavin Wimson on third down. It was just the most predictable play calling. And, and I think that's, if you're a fan where you can be very critical of this Rutgers offense, uh, maybe the players and the development isn't there, but the play calling can be a little bit more creative, I think. And it's just so predictable, run, run, pass, and and try to stay ahead of the sticks that it's becoming just so easy for the defense to game plan for this Rutgers offense. Like everything that's on tape is, if it's, if it's predictable to us and an average fan, think about what it's like to be a defensive coordinator on an opposing team. It has to be like, you know, getting a word bank on a test. It's just so vanilla. And that's who Rutgers is. Like Greg Shano has no uh, hesitation to say like, this is the, this is the offense we're putting on the field. This is the game plan we're putting out on the field. This is where we're at. And I think that's, that's just the problem. And I'm paraphrasing, but at one point he says, the press conference, I mean, everyone's screaming, like, throw a screen pass. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. Greg Shannon's listening to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Everyone's screaming. He's talking to you, Pat. I know. <laughs> Where's the wheel round? No, no. That's what we were talking he about. Said, Come he on. said uh, they, they, they can't even throw a screen pass because they're not there yet. I was like, wait a second. Right. Isn't that the most fundamental play in football? Like, isn't that what peewee football players like are are taught? I don't know. And then the Giants beat just to prove full circle. Then the Giants beat the the uh, Commanders with a you know Tommy DeVito throwing a wheel route to Saquon Barkley. I just had to laugh out loud. They're screaming for these plays. Anyway, yes, but that's that's kind of where we're at there. Yeah, it's so there's so much dedication to stick with this game plan to get to third and two and third and three to be able to run quarterback power that yeah. it's almost overkill at this point. It's, right. it's it's putting sticking forks in your eyes, like watching this offense. And Brian, tell me what you th- if you agree with this, there's like a fine line between when you're doing something to stay in the game against a Penn state, like, like Rick Shannon was saying, this is how we have to be competitive. And there is also, you know, all right. Well, you, are you are you so close to that line that you're not really putting yourself in a position to win, right? That's like that's you know, and this is what we used to scream about with you know, Chris Ash in later years. And again, I'm not making a comparison. The program's so much further along, but it was like, you know, all right, you, you got it. Now you got it down to 28 point loss instead of a 42 point loss. But you know what I'm talking about, right? There's there is a line there. Yes, but I do think we can't talk out of both sides of our mouth where we want to say just suck normal and only lose by 21 points. And then they're playing away so that they only lose by 21 points. And we're saying, oh, risk it. Who cares? You're going to lose anyway. (laughs) We got to find a middle ground here. Are you saying this podcast might not be consistent in its views? Not certainly not in a lot of in a lot of ways, but I think it's not just us. I think I saw a lot of fans say that, like we're gonna lose anyway. What's the point? Like Gavin Wimps said, throw the ball. If he throws three pick sixes, who's who cares? You can't win the game if you don't try. Which I understand that argument. I think for us as people watching the game, for fans who are watching the game, I think it's frustrating to see a team not even really try. Right when you throw sixteen passes and run the ball forty two times, it's like especially again when the run game is going nowhere. You're kind of like, why are you running your head against the wall so many times? But to, if you're thinking about it from Greg Shadow's point of view, you're thinking the only way we can win this game is if we keep it close and hopefully make the key plays, don't make mistakes, minimize risk. And there has to be, I'm just, this is pure speculation, just conjecture on my part, but there has to be an element of a 27-6 loss looks a lot better than a 52-17 loss, for example. 
on people who are scoreboard watching to recruits to people who are mildly paying attention. And I think that does kind of matter, right? I think you can pitch like, we only lost by 21 points to Penn State. The Rutgers wasn't going to win this game anyway. Maybe they should have thrown the ball all over the yard. But I do think that his he's essentially admitting with these quotes he said the last couple of weeks of like, this is who we are. He's saying we don't have enough talent offensively at wide receiver, at tight end, on the offensive line to do anything else. We have good running backs who can run the ball. We have a mobile quarterback. And that's our strengths, and we're playing to our strengths. And until they upgrade the talent at wide receiver, at tight end, on the offensive line, which they desperately need to do, they can't do all of it, but they desperately need to upgrade those positions this offseason. And until they do, this is just kind of what they are. First of all, we know that Rutgers doesn't upgrade positions. They develop talent, Brian. It's in the pipeline. Crying out loud. Have you not been listening? They do have young receivers that could be good. I don't know if they're going to be ready <laughs> next year is the issue, right? Like, are is Dylan Braithwaite and Fama Ture and Ian Strong and Jesse O'Fury, is it going to take them 18 months to be ready to play meaningful snaps? Yeah, I mean, they're playing right now with a fifth-year senior former walk-on, a fifth-year senior Isaiah Washington, right? Like, Jaquay Jackson's been in college for six years. Like, they, that's what they're working with. To go from that to, you know, a, qu- a quartet of sophomores is a big ask. And there's no there's no uh, tight end in the pipeline, at least I from what I'm seeing, right? And the offensive line, maybe. I think there are some young offensive linemen who, you know, have a chance. But I think in all three of those positions, if you can go in the portal and get people that can play right away, that is the best course of action. All right, let's do some true or false. Don't have a lot, but we've got a few good ones. Ready? Yes. Okay, true or false. Then this, you talked about this a little bit a minute ago, Brian. Rutgers has offensive talent in the program. The players are simply too young to make an impact. Pat, is that true? Uh, true. Yeah. Okay. Brian? I'll say true at wide receiver. I'm not convinced that tight end. I am uh, 50-50 on offensive line. So I guess the answer is true. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think you have to hope it's true. But it's it's interesting that you would think that some of those guys you would take a, you would roll a dice. If you have, you have four games for red shirt. I'm surprised we've only seen them in one, but true. All right. True or false. The Rutgers the offensive line is back as Rutgers's biggest weakness. Pat, are we, are we down on the O line? No, I think that was just a product of a great opponent. Uh, I think they've, they've still been, I think wide receiver to bring back my debate from the preseason is still okay. right. biggest weakness. False. Brian, I agree that wide receiver and tight end are probably a more big concern. This is two weeks removed from them pushing Ohio State around. I mm-hmm. Ohio State's a little soft as much as Ryan Day wants to say they aren't. So take that for what it's worth. I think uh, judging them, a great channel made this point. Judging them on how they do against Iowa and Penn State might be a little unfair. So okay. I will say false. I will say false as well. All right, with NIL, a six or seven win season is becoming the program's new ceiling. This is a toughie. Pat, <laughs> true or false? Has NIL made it to the point where it's going to be much harder to compete with the behemoths? Uh, the way that Shiano a- a- answered that uh, question <laughs> during his soliloquy makes it seem that it's one of his biggest concerns. And I th- I think it is. So I think it's pretty declarative to say forever a ceiling. I'm going to say false. They've already developed a top 25 defense and if they can just get the offense into the into the 50th range, I think they can win more than six games. Brian? 
I think it's a lot harder to beat the Ohio States and Penn States and Michigans with war chests, for sure. Have you seen the rest of the Big Ten? This league stinks. They stink. Their fourth best team has the worst offense in modern college football history. They're putting offensive football back like 30 years, right? So I think that, especially with the way the new schedule is, when you're not playing the behemoths all in a row every season, I certainly think that I think six and seven wins might even be the floor. That's what their objective is, right? To bring it back to the old days of Greg Schiano. And then the realistic ceiling, like the once a decade special season is probably nine to 10 wins. Um, so I'll say false. I say false as well. Although I do think, and this is, this is the point I want to make that with NIL, it's, you know, we're, we just talked about, well, they need to upgrade these blank, blank, blank. Um, it's going to just be a lot harder to do that. And you're not going to be able to pay for a wide receiver. We've kind of seen that. You're not certainly not going to get a a, a, a quarterback of any uh, note and you're playing defense with NIL. That's the other part of it. Like we, we haven't really discussed it and we will at the end of the season with what, what, what which players are going to come and go, but that's a big concern. You know, forget like Rutgers can be really good if it keeps the team together. That's a big if. So I guess that's why the worry with the NIL is out there at all times. So I will also say false. All right, basketball, true or false? Bryant beats FAU. Princeton is rolling. That's a great sign for Rutgers hoops. Pat, you bullish on the basketball team? True or false? Uh, yeah, um, I am. I am a little bullish. Those results look great. Um, I've been reading some things that the Ivy League is not going to be a one-bid uh, league, which I think is fascinating. So, um yeah, I think uh, and and their performance against Howard all kind of stacks with the put to put the uh, trajectory upwards. Brian, bullish is good. Yes, uh, I was confused. Bullish, bullish. And bearish. Yes, it is good. Okay, the Princeton loss looks better every time Princeton plays. They look mm-hmm. awesome. They look good. Uh, and the Ivy League is really good. Yale is elite. Penn beat Villanova. Mm-hmm. Really good. Uh, Bryant beating FAU makes that win look a lot better. Mm-hmm. Georgetown needing to go to overtime to beat American a week after they lost the Holy Cross. And that being Rutgers' best win of the season makes the whole four-game win streak they're on a little less impressive to me. Um, I think Rutgers is doing what they should do. They're beating bad teams, and they're generally avoiding scares. Like that, Aside from the end of the Bryant game and the Howard game, where things got a little shaky for a little bit, like there was never really any scare. So they're doing what they should do, much like they did last season. I will wait to see how they do against competent competition, Illinois, Wake Forest, Seton Hall, before I declare that the Princeton game was an anomaly. So I guess to answer the question, it's false. Uh, all right, I'm going true. I thought I feel I certainly feel better about it than I when I did when I walked out of Trenton, but I, I feel better about everything than I did when I walked out of Trenton that night. So let's keep that in mind as well. All right, uh, two more. Penn State, colon, an underrated road trip. Pat. Penn State, State College, it's underrated. We've been too harsh about traveling to Penn State. True or false? There's nothing better than Crappy Valley. I will say that. (laughs) This is so false. It is the worst road trip. (laughs) Brian, you were in the car with me for four hours. How do you feel about the road trip? That's exactly why I will say true. That it's the only road trip I can make in the Big Ten. I get to spend time with my good friend Steve Blee. That's great. Okay, this is great. Of course, of course, you people know how I feel about this um, um, trip 
And so this is, you're going to love this. And I haven't told either one of you this. So we get back and we, you know, uh, at the end of this game, I essentially throw fun stick in the car to get, we're getting out of here. You can write in the car. We're driving and I must have been going 80 miles per hour and 80 for the three and a half hours. And we just like a man on a mission is like is pounding out content on his laptop in the passenger seat, listening to the, we're listening to Jerry Recco, uh, the fine broadcast of the, of the, of the basketball team, the Howard game, we pick it up halfway through. And I'm just a man going, going, going the next morning I wake up and I take the first step out of bed and it feels like someone had put like a stake in the center of my foot. And I was like, oh my God, like searing pain. And I, and I like, and I go, uh, like, I'm like, I asked, I say, say this to my wife. I'm like, I can't, I can barely walk. Something happened. I don't know. And she's like, well, what did you do? And I'm like, I don't know. I just went to the game. I didn't, I mean, I didn't exercise. I didn't walk very far. I didn't, certainly didn't fall or trip. I would remember that. And it just going through the entire day until finally we're going to my daughter's soccer game. And she's like, are you okay to drive with your foot like that? And I'm like, that's it. My foot aches. From from having it on the freaking gas pedal for three and a half hours to get the hell out of state college, it was literally I literally hurt myself driving. I wanted to get out of there so badly. How am I, I mean, honestly? That's what it is. It's right there. It's on my gas pedal foot from where my toes were pushing or trying to grind into the gas pedal as hard as possible. I don't think anybody's been ever that. Uh, uh, that's a weird injury, right? You're literally lead foot. I'm literally lead foot. My foot is it's done. I couldn't, I couldn't, I got to play hurt. I couldn't go back. Well, that's was questionable on uh, the availability for Saturday. Um, <laughs> this is not going to be your last trip back. You keep saying this as like, though it's my last you, trip. It's my last trip. Back. You'll be I've there got in three years. I've got three years to figure something out. Either, either I need a, a, a new career, a good excuse, or just uh, a debilitating disease. I've got three years to figure it out. <laughs> what do you call them? It. Call the and tell them to schedule the game on the Super Bowl Sunday or something. Oh, I figured there'd be something. It's good. This is it. My last trip. I kept out as I'm walking out. I'm saying goodbye to people. Like, oh, hey, goodbye, folks. Goodbye. You waved goodbye to the stadium as we were walking out. I did. I waved goodbye to the stadium. I almost shed a tear. It was an emotional moment. It was. Uh, Pat, I'm curious. Cuts. I'm curious about your day because you you drove to and from on the same day to bookend two weddings. So how the hell was your weekend? I'm sore from uh, lifting my friend up at his wedding, and I'm not a big guy, so obviously I, the the cavalry comes in to help, but I'm always the first guy to start the process, like Born to Run comes on, you know what, you're going up. So I am just as beat up as Steve, uh, but I'm a little more athletic, so I will say I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm listed as probable for Maryland. Yeah, 20 years help too. <laughs> see, see you're lifting people up when you're 50. That's true. Yeah, I'm feeling fine. If anyone is curious, I said no, we're not curious. In, in, in the like is carrying the team at this point, of course, it, yes, it's no question. Banging out content. All right, last, last true or false for fun here. The best Thanksgiving side is mashed potatoes. Pat, true or false? False. Yams are the best. Yams. Yams. Wow. Coming at me with the yams here. Yam. Can't the yams or just your regular yams? Pounded yams. What do we got? Like like the sweet potato kind of yams, you know, like just okay. candied. Candied. Gotcha. Brian? Is stuffing aside? Yeah, it is. Okay, yeah. so stuffing followed very closely by cranberry sauce. Very, very, mm. very, very, very close. Like I, I'm having a hard time picking, but if I got to pick one, I'm going stuffing. 
you know, I got the solution for it. We might make a nice stuffing. Stuffing is not, is, is the answer is stuffing to this. But when we put into it, we'll put some cranberries in the stuffing. Woo! How about that? That's Coming good. at you. It's good stuff. That's good. All right. Everyone enjoy your Thanksgiving. We don't talk, we will talk to you before that, but yeah. Looking forward to it. Experience the Heldridge Hotel, a luxury hotel that's perfect for both the business and leisure traveler. Ideally located within minutes of Rutgers University, the Heldridge is convenient to all the action and activities at SHI Stadium, Jersey Mike's Arena, and the Rutgers University campus. The moment you walk through the doors of the Heldridge Hotel and Conference Center, you know you're someplace different. A place with an independent spirit and a boutique vibe. A place where you can immerse yourself in your meeting or event as easily as you can the local culture. Located in the heart of the city, the Heldridge lets you experience all that New Brunswick has to offer. Whether you're coming to New Brunswick for a fun weekend with friends, in town for a Scarlet Night's game, or attending a business meeting, book your accommodations today at theheldridge.com. All right, let's talk basketball really quick because uh, you're right. The Howard game was a nice win. Um, it, it, I mean, Derek Simpson looks like a different player than he did in the opener. I think everyone expected him to be playing like this, which is huge. You're starting to see a rotation, Brian. I mean, it, it looks like, you know, what you would want to happen in these games other than wins is happening. They're gelling a little bit more, and they're doing it without Mawat Mag still. Sure. They're taking care of business. Guard play looks better. They're turning opponents over. They're creating turnovers into points in transition. They're taking care of business. As far as figuring out the rotation, they only had nine scholarship guys available because Austin Williams was at the last two games, and they didn't. They barely played Antonio Chol, so they really only had eight guys. That rotation kind of figures itself out at that point. It's good to see Derek Simpson play well. They're going to need him to have a breakout year. It's good to see Noah Fernandes seem to be more comfortable running the offense. It's good that they're able to win these games without any really big performances from Cliff Omori. Uh, I think that's a good sign. Yeah, look, I, I'd like to see better finishing at the rim. I'd like to see a little bit better shooting. I'd like to see a little bit better half-court offense. And Steve Peichel said after the game Sunday when they broke the 80-point mark, or Saturday, sorry, after they broke the 80-point mark, this is kind of what they want to do. He thinks this is a team that could average 80 points. That's going to have to happen, obviously, a lot in transition with a lot more possessions. But if he thinks they can score to that level, I think the last couple games are good signs. Again, I'd like to see if they can replicate the turn teams over and transition scoring against Illinois. Uh, but right. again, the, you, the schedule is the schedule. To this point, I think you can really only be happy with what you've seen so far in these yeah. four wins. The interesting point, Patton, is like when you talk about things that will give you reason to be positive, like obviously produce the best team in the Big Ten, make a strong case that Michigan State to Illinois to B. I mean, those, those are, but after that, I mean, watching some of the, the results, like, I mean, Maryland, it's train wreck. There's just something you thought Michigan was better after they, they beat St. John's, but they, they gave, they, they gave her right back, you know, just looking at the scores, there's really not like Nebraska's five and over. They haven't played anybody. You're looking at all, it, there's really not a team. Indiana got hammered by UConn. Right. It just absolutely destroyed by UConn and <clears throat> Cam Spencer, but we won't uh, talk about that. Um, yeah, totally. It's just not, there has not been a really that middle belly of the Big Ten looks like it's pretty soft. Which is the opposite of what it's been the last couple of years, right? So I think that's going to make it really fascinating because Rutgers has been able to climb this ladder of the Big Ten. Uh, and, and now you're expecting. If the league's down, which Steve I will never never say, of course, the best league in the country. But yeah, it does seem uh, like there is an underbelly for this thing, and Rutgers can definitely stake its ground right in the middle, if not if not uh, on the upper upper quad, to put in basketball terms. Who we have this week? We 
Brian, that's coming up here? They're off this week. They play mm-hmm. St. Peter's next Monday, a week right. from today. Then they play Illinois that Saturday. They would then play Wake Forest, I believe, that Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And then that Saturday following that, or Sunday, or Friday, one one day right. that following week, they play Seton Hall, the ninth, I think it is. Right. Yes. Um, so so the, they, they have a week off. They get to enjoy Thanksgiving. They get to take some time mm-hmm. off their legs after playing, I believe, four days and four games in nine days, something to that effect. Um, and then the season really starts in earnest. And I think you have to get a couple of non-conference wins precisely because the Big Ten is a little down and you won't be mm-hmm. able to stack up quality wins in league. Uh, right. I think that's a big thing. I think the league really hurt itself this week. Like Minnesota was up double digits on Missouri, which would have been a big win. They blew it and lost. And then Missouri lost to some team, the, the Sisters of the Poor or whatever. Like, so I just think the the opportunities will be lesser this season. So yeah, maybe Rutgers finishes sixth in the Big Ten, but they don't make the tournament because of how weak the... the, the well, and that'd be hard to say. Six, maybe. Eighth certainly is on the table. It's probably um, fair. You're probably yeah. right. Yes, that was a bit um, of exaggeration. Right. But looking at the, I mean, and looking at the non-conference, obviously Seton Hall's unbeaten, but they don't look like world beaters. Mississippi State, though, so they have a couple of nice wins, including one over Northwestern, I think, if I'm, I'm, not, if I'm not wrong. So that that shows you that that game is going to be um, – that could be the one. You know, that kind of looms as, as as the big win opportunity at a neutral site. Granted, it won't be very neutral at the Rock for that one, but still. I really like Seton Hall a lot. You do? I think their guards are really good. I think Kadari Richmond is very good. And that could cause problems for Rutgers guards, who I'm not sure can guard him. And I – and Rutgers lost to a worse Seton Hall team last year, right? These things are kind of, and mm-hmm. Rutgers hasn't won at the Prudential Center in over a decade. The other team I'm watching is Wake Forest. I think they're really good. Mm-hmm. And I think playing on the road, this is going to be their first true road game of the year, big test. So I think those two games will really, again, I've said this ad nauseum, it will show us a lot. And those are two big opportunities uh, for Rutgers to steal. A very important road win. We'll see if they can do it. You get three, you're in great shape. You get two, you're in good shape. You know, and you get one of those three, and we'll be we'll be sweating. So, all right, we'll take some questions from our folks, from our insiders, Rutgers Insider, Indiana.com slash Rutgers Insider. Lots of um, angst in our text service over after the Penn State game. Lots of impatience, uh, which is fine, understandable. Um, this is this is part of it. But here's a, here's a, what a, a big picture question here, and I thought it was interesting. Uh, whatever happened to the speed Shiano used to be able to recruit from Florida during Shiano 1.0? Why can't why can Northwestern go 1-11 last year, lose their coach in the preseason, and take a rookie head coach uh, and be equal in their first to our fourth year here? Why can Arizona go 1-11 two years ago to 8-3 this year, over 30 points per game? Why can Jerry Kill take a previously 5-21 New Mexico State team to a berth in his uh, bowl in his first year and beat Auburn on the road this year? He goes on and on and on and on, as you can imagine. Um, the bro- the bigger picture, though, where's the speed? Where's the development? And why? I guess uh, people want to know why. Why do you think the pipeline takes longer to um, percolate, for mixing my metaphors here? Thoughts, Pat? I think the speed is there on defense, and you see it in the secondary. The cornerbacks are extremely speedy. Flip Dixon is all over the field. I think offensively, we haven't seen an offense that utilizes speed, so it's kind of just been hidden, right? Like they play slow, methodical football stylistically. So it's a great question. I'm not sure. uh, I feel like they have recruited speedy guys. It's just um, maybe just hasn't translated to time. Like 
even even special right you see speed on special teams a lot what is one thing we have not seen this entire season a return at all so even like a guy like Rashad Rochelle is certainly a guy that was recruited for his speed but he just hasn't been able to show it at all because they can't return the ball good point yeah to the other point Brian I guess you know we it's it's a little easier I get it you know New Mexico State did win at Auburn and Arizona's eight and three. It's it's easier to win in places where you're not playing Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State. And it just is. I mean, just you gotta be fair about that when you're looking at this. Arizona is not gonna beat Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State either. Pac 12 is good this year, but your point is taken. I think one, the speed thing, Rutgers was fast in the big east. I don't know if those players would look so fast against better competition nowadays. I think the Northwestern question is very fair. I think you have to look at the fact that they haven't played, I don't think, any of the big three. And Rutgers' five losses are against the top three teams in the Big East and the top two teams in the Big West, right? So I think um, schedule does factor in a little bit. Uh, I have no explanation for Jerry Kill. He's a football uh, savant who turned a pretty much dead program that's never been good into its greatest season, like two seasons of all time out of nowhere. Um, but everything else is kind of like... I think you have to look at these things at a case-by-case basis. Uh, and I think that, again, to be fair, we're in year four of Greg Schiano, second 2.0. In year four of Greg Schiano, 1.0, this is right about where they were. So I think if we're going to compare the speed they had in the later years of Schiano, the first time around, give it two or three years for the pipeline to be filled, and then we can make a more apt comparison. Gary Kills fat is a fascinating study, and I, I didn't get to know him here at all. I'm not pretending I did when he was uh, here for that year, but he kind of came in after Drew Maringer at the time with Chris Ash, and they were going to play fast. We're going to play fast. We're going to snap the ball after four seconds. We're going to fast, 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 and that didn't work. Obviously, uh, it's failed in spectacular fashion. And Jerry Kill comes in and is like, "Yeah, no, we're not going to, we're not going to do that anymore." And it just became the exact opposite. It was funny. It was, and he was right. I mean, I think we've proven. Uh, the the two approaches that what that Jerry Kills was a little bit more sensible, uh, given the talent limitations. All right, uh, looking for some more. Uh, a lot of questions about why can't Greg Shannon develop quarterbacks? Um, we've heard that a bunch. Uh, I mean, talent evaluation, coaching evaluation, game management. It was supposed to be the second coming of Tom Brady. Well, I don't know about that. Um, another one. So I guess we've we've you know. And here's one that's interesting, you know, Steve, the issue is the offensive line. Reggie Sutton's not serviceable against high ends. Edge rushers, Garrett wasn't bad. Gavin wasn't bad yesterday, either with the receivers. It's the line, the line, the line. So clearly everyone, just to make an illustrate the point that everyone's got a theory here of what's wrong. I don't even know what the question is, Pat, but we're all, we're all over the place. You can put put up the, on the dartboard, throw a dart on something, receivers, line, quarterback. and yep, yep. Yeah, it all looks like a mess against a really good defense and – I think that's the bigger point. Um, and to what Brian wrote in his film review, the offense has no success level or success rate when it can't establish the run. And once Rutgers falls behind the chains, it's not built to overcome, uh, you know, third and long. Like the, the, those plays just don't exist. And you saw how the offense operates on that first drive when it can steadily move the chains and keep things rolling. And then one penalty is, is insurmountable, right? That's the difference between when you watch an NFL game on Sunday and you watch Rutgers on Saturday, unless we're talking about the jets, because they look exactly the same. Um, 
but the difference is like when it's third and 15 in the NFL, right? Like you expect a NFL quarter caliber quarterback to make a throw on third and 15 that can, you know, at, at least maybe move the sticks. Rutgers is at the point where like third and 15 feels like third and 50. I, I think that's the biggest, the, the, the biggest issue with this offense is that if it's not third and short, they really have no chance of moving the sticks. Right. This was, this question was sort of an, it, it, a good one. And we kind of talked about it a little bit early on, but someone wanted to know what changes during the game for Gavin. He looked pretty good initially, maybe Penn state bring more pressure happened against Iowa as well. That's an interesting point. And I, I mean, you, you did, they did have their best success early on is something, is it script? Is it the scripted plays? Is it, or is it just, you know, I mean, defense is adjusting. It could be a combination of all. It could be yeah. his offense wearing down, having to, you know, you block a great defensive line the first three or four plays, you're still fresh. You know, the fifth, sixth, seventh time they chip away at you, and it's hard to, it's really hard to keep NFL caliber defensive ends from getting to the quarterback for 60 minutes. It just, it is what it is, right? And look, I, to the broader point from before, and I'm not chastising fans because we've done this as well. It's just what it is. Uh, but we go from these wild swings of like two weeks ago, Pat Flaherty should have a statue in front of the stadium. And now we're wondering why the offensive line is not performing its job and, uh, you know, why Rutgers offense looks the way it does. I think we were a bit harsh at times. I do think these three teams they played are really good defensively. Rutgers is just not to steal Greg Shaw's line. They're just not there. That might be alarming if you think they should be competing. I certainly think they should be a little bit more competitive against these defenses. But again, I think Penn State is really good. They held Michigan to what? 20-something points? Like, I think uh, some of that is worth thinking mm -hmm. about. Sure. All right. Question about uh, is Harasimiak being considered for Syracuse, Michigan State, or any other opening? Steve from Lebanon Township wants to know. I think obviously he is the coach that has uh, most feared that he would jump someplace. I don't know. I've seen him on any head coaching list, though. Pat, have you noticed that? The, the big one was the USC defensive coordinator gig, obviously. It's his name was circulated in that on a, on a watch list. And you know how it is with these lists. It's always just let's, let's plug a successful coach who's mm -hmm. done one thing really well. And it's a hot name. So <laughs> um, I, I really do get the feeling that Harris Simiak actually still has some unfinished business here at Rutgers. And I, I think maybe I, I have, I have not seen his name mentioned in Syracuse, anything like that. So, yeah, no, yeah. Uh, but I, I think he's just a hot name. And he's done a great job, so he should be a hot name. And just to, you know, to shed some light on these lists, having been part of content groups that have <laughs> have created these lists, I mean, a lot of it is just pulling names that have had, and a lot of it is, I mean, people will, on higher levels, it's really not, when no one's calling in favors to NG.com, but people will call in to say, hey, can I get, can you put my name out there for so-and-so job? I mean, this happens. So don't, I mean, if you see a name on there, you're like, oh my God, how, the, how did that guy get in the mix for that job? Chances are he's not in the mix for that job. It's worth, it's worth uh, entertainment purposes. Only the, the, uh, the AD and uh, a few trusted uh, people will know exactly who's on those lists. So just throw it out there. All right, so we got some atmosphere questions, and this one's great. This was I like. This is from Giordano Garcia on on Twitter. How annoying was hearing Ozzy Osbourne's crazy train laugh on seemingly every defensive play in person? What is going on in Happy Valley? I will say, I'd, I'd rather have the train. I'd rather have the horn. Give me the horn any day than that. That did get very annoying. <laughs> 
That's a great observation. We talking about the cat growl thing? Well, that's even worse. It's even more annoying. And that's the you know, I'm talking about Ozzy Osbourne, this laugh <laughs> that was going on throughout the game. But the cat horn, this is great. So we're we're done. We're like hacking up and leaving. We're on the elevator. We're walking. The cat horn is still going on in the stadium. Did you notice that? There's no roar. Like, uh... like, is it just is it just 24 seven? Is it on a loop? Like at two three in the morning, you walk past the stadium. There's a roar. I did notice that too, Brian. You noticed that on the way out. I didn't, but maybe I'm like the Penn State people who have heard it so often that I'm sure it's just background noise to them at this point. Like, I, I a lot of the sounds did sound like, like part of it sounded like a Rutgers game. Like the make yeah. some noise guy kept showing up. They do crazy train at Rutgers. Uh, I, I wasn't sure if they had a horn or not. Maybe I'm imagining it in my in my head. But look, the thing that I will say, though, is that Penn State fans, when you put, I think there was probably 80, 90,000 people in there. Once the sound effects were finally dumbed down, they got pretty loud. Yeah, so, they did. I'll yeah. give them credit for that. And this is a, two inside baseball, but some people love this stuff. Um, the press box is just like it is 1950, probably built later than that, but it is by far the worst big press box in, uh, and they're replacing it, I guess, but in the Big Ten, like Michigan, Michigan Stadium has this wonderful, Michigan State has this huge press box. I mean, Nebraska might as well be an NFL press box. Ohio State, the same thing. And this thing, it's like, I mean, it's describing it. I mean, the bathroom is like a bathroom in a submarine. It's so small up there. And then there's this, uh, I can't, uh, the, no other way to describe it, except there is a, a foothole, a foot high bump. And we have to step over this bump. And it's not marked. In fact, it not only is it not marked anyway, it's covered with the same carpeting. So if you're not looking for this thing, you're going to trip over it. And, it, and I, I stepped over it. I'm like, God, they nearly killed me. And then Dave Jones, who has been the Penn Live columnist for, I don't know, a million years. The guy has covered, covered Penn State sports. He's been in this press box a thousand times. This was his last game covering Penn State. He's going to retire. He's done, he's done with it. He vows he won't come back. Much, much like my last game. Um, and he, as he's, he's turning to walk again, this is the guy who's been there a million times. He just completely trips over this thing. It's like it's put there to, to kill people. No yellow tape, nothing, right? I mean, this is like dangerous job. Just sign off for good validity. Just uh, it's, it's dangerous. Over. It's over. You're done with Happy Valley. We know it. You're never it could going be. Back. You're never going back. Thank you. Thank you. Someone finally has acknowledged that this is this is the fact that it, I'm not just trying to speak this into existence. I'm not going back. Let's see. Let's go. let's steal a page from our friends at the College Football Inquirer, Steve. I want you to say something nice about Happy Valley, Penn State football, anything about Central Pennsylvania to get some positive juju going on here. Okay. I can't take it anymore. All right, I can do that. It is like a, you know, it's nice. There, I here, here it is. All right, we're driving there. I saw some fantastic silos. Right when you're driving, you're looking on, you're looking at the, and it's not your average. You think, all right, there's going to be a silo next to a barn. These are modern spaceship looking silos when you drive when you're driving into this place, and there are a lot of them. There are a lot of really. I, I dare say, I'm going to put this out there, and I have not really studied Iowa's silos. I haven't gone deep into Nebraska's silos. I think they're the best silos in the Big Ten. There. How do you like that? Very nice view. I thought so. Great college. Thank you. All right. Do we want to take another couple questions, or we want to just uh, move on? What do you think? Um, More questions. All right, here's one. This is a, this is a funny one. I know you guys uh, want to have a good rapport with coaches you cover, but I'm curious as how empowered you guys feel to as Rutgers beat writers to push back on a coach when he's dancing around a question or just spewing out coach speech. Are you guys frightened at all to challenge Shiano with tough questions? Wow, man. Um, 
I, I don't think that frightened is certainly not the right word. We we're, we're willing to ask tough questions. They're not like, I don't know. It's not like a tough, it's not like a tough, lot of tough questions you can ask after a game like that. I'm like these, you know, we all know what happened. It's not like there's like some, you know, what the hell were you thinking on fourth and two? There's no like moment like that. I mean, the toughest questions we've had to ask over the years have been, you think you're going to get fired like that. That was always, you know, that was always a tough one near the end of Kyle Flood and near the end of Chris Ash or Kyle Flood, a million other things we've had to ask. I don't know, guys, you feel, um, you feel intimidated. I wouldn't say so. I think uh, if there are tough questions to ask, I think all three of us feel pretty good about asking them. I think Greg Schiano is a pro and would understand as long as the question isn't out of left field or like provocative or intentionally inflammatory, right? Which I think, despite what people think, I think we're pretty reasonable about that. Um, so no, I, I, I personally, uh, I, I think we're we're good. What about I think you? he likes the tough questions too, Pat. Like I think he likes he likes some of them. And and just for context, right after this game, Brian asked a hard question, questioning the play calling, right? And you gave him the very specific numbers. You ran the ball 42 times and threw it 16, and you wanted to know why. Fair question. And Greg Schiano in his defense just very simply asked back, well, did you see those edge rushers? That's the reason we didn't throw the ball, right? Like, he gets it. Um, he can be snarky at times, but it's always in in good. It's a good working relationship, and I think he really respects. Sometimes he'll he will question your football knowledge, but I think it's all in good, all in good spirit. Totally agree, absolutely, yeah. And he's got we do have a good rapport with him. Um, you know, he's he's a very funny guy. You get him on side, like he busts busts chops with the best of them. So that's always uh, that's always good. And he doesn't he hasn't lost his sense of humor even after losses. So he's. Uh, yeah, I uh, I think that it's been a good relationship so far. All right, uh, one last comment here, and this one that we'll end with the last uh, last comment, more more of a comment than the question from our insiders. But if we beat Maryland next week, six of our seven wins will be over bowl teams. If Virginia Tech beat GVA next week, which seems likely, and f- four of our five losses will be against top fifteen teams. Uh, uh, and three losses against ne- top five national defenses. I'm pointing this out just for perspective on what this team has accomplished. Yeah, no, it's a good. I mean, it's a good point. And the big picture is hard to keep in this. Hard to keep the pic- big picture in mind. Sometimes we're covering a game. The game's in front of you. You have a result. You're asking questions about it. You're writing about the result. And but you're right. If you take a step back, we're back to where we were. Pat, it's you know six and five. Probably would have signed for it. You got to throw in that line. Would you sign for it? Sign for it. Yeah. Of course, of course you would. And just seeing the way that these defenses played, I mean, Iowa at Iowa was a, a tougher ass than I thought. I, I was I was the guy that was screaming that Rutgers was going to beat Iowa. And then <laughs> to see it actually happen in, in person, like Iowa was really good and really well coached. And then, uh, yeah, I just I just think um, big picture, you would sign up for this. No question. Brian, does it change with a loss to Maryland? That would be the first loss of like a 50-50, what Jerry DiNardo calls a matchup game. I don't know if it would change. I certainly think that a win would solidify that, yes, Rutgers is exactly where we think they are. A mid-tier team, beats mediocre to bad teams, struggles against the elite teams. We still don't really have an idea, as I said earlier, about those same middling, good, not great teams. This is an interesting thing to watch. If Northwestern beats Illinois this weekend, they will become the first Big Ten team that Rutgers has beaten that finishes the year with a winning conference record in their 10 years in the de- in the Big Ten. Really? 
Yes. Northwestern would finish the Big Ten five and four. <laughs> they would be the first winning conference record that Rutgers has beaten since joining the <laughs> I wouldn't have bet that on September 4th, whatever the hell it was. My goodness, that's incredible. What a job that guy's done. Big um, Ten coach of the year, easily. Yeah. Um, you wrote about this before. This We forgot to talk about this earlier, but you wrote about the bowl situation with the pinstripe bowl. It seems like a foregone conclusion. What I thought was interesting, though, like you have put you had put Northwestern ahead of Rutgers in the pecking order for the Las Vegas Bowl. And it might not, it might just be that, look, you know, it makes more sense for Rutgers to stay here and bring 20,000, 30,000 fans across the Hudson River to a bowl game than it does to put them in Las Vegas before Christmas when they might not be able to travel. I mean, it just might be that, might be that simple. But I thought that was interesting because I do not think that as good as Northwestern's been and a nice story that they are a more attractive team um, than Rutgers is for a bowl. I think Nebraska will get Las Vegas if, if they beat um, Iowa. This Friday. They're not going to beat Iowa. They're not going to beat Iowa. Come if come they on. beat Iowa, they are Las Vegas, the easiest choice of all time. Las Vegas gets to choose before the pinstripe bowl. So in yes. theory, if Las Vegas wanted Rutgers, they could take them before the pinstripe bowl. I won't pretend to know if there are any back-channeling deals here between the bowls, if the representatives speak to each other. That I can't speak to. But I'm saying in a world where Las Vegas has its choice and has Rutgers, Northwestern, Maryland, of those three, I think Northwestern has the best story. They're going to have the Big Ten Coach of the Year. They could have a better record than Rutgers, right, in theory. I don't think that matters much, frankly. I just think travel, though. They're not. It's, it's like. Is Rutgers going to travel that well to Las Vegas? Has Rutgers traveled any, well to right. Big Ten? Is anybody also, putting on the TV to watch Northwestern? Again, that is the thing here. Pat's shaking TV, his head. <laughs> TV ratings are what matters more than attendance, right? Like the Bulls make more money off of TV ratings because they could sell that for next year. Are people going to watch the Northwestern, you know, Dave Braun redemption story? Or are they going to watch, you know. A nice little rocker story that has lost at best four of their last five games of the year. I, I think that's Vegas. negligible. I think that's negligible. Like that's like the you're you're splitting hairs there. And then I go back to well, Rutgers crushed Northwestern, right? Like, don't you think Rutgers is a better team than Northwestern? A long time ago, but certainly if you're doing just yeah, if you're just measuring what the only only comparison you have is a twenty four to seven win. Absolutely, yeah. I do think if they played, like if they played tomorrow on a neutral field, I think it'd be a pick probably. Probably, that's fair, yeah. I, I just don't. That's I, when I, the, we were praising the Rutgers offense for its simplistic, time-consuming clock. <laughs> wow. Talk about wow. how we lose sight of the big picture. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. We thought and that was a good thing. Both ends of our mouth. Yeah, we thought that was a great thing. It's a great point. Woo, Okay. Yeah. So I th- the greater point is that I think that if unless Vegas comes out of the sky and saves us and chooses Rutgers, uh, assuming again that Nebraska doesn't beat Iowa, I think we are resigned to the pinstripe bowl, which some people took offense to me designating it as that, that people should just be happy that they're in a bowl game period and you'll take your Bronx and like it. I am resigned to the pinstripe bowl because I was dreaming of Nashville and Phoenix and Las Vegas and I'll be in an open air press box in the Bronx five days after Christmas after taking a 45 minute drive up the turnpike. I'll drive you there too if you want. Stop by the house. We'll carpool to the Bronx. I don't think it's over yet. I don't. I don't. I might be wrong. I think seven and five, it's going to be more interesting than just the foregone conclusion. I've got no inside information though. So do not book your flights. All right. Anything else, Pat? What do we got? Wrestling? Wrestling lost the tough match to Virginia Tech. Like, it was very winnable. It would have been a signature win. The, the, the Rutgers' pursuit of a signature win continues. A couple results really flipped this one. 
Brian Saldano lost a match he probably should have won. Anthony White lost a match he probably should have won. And uh, Rutgers ultimately come up just a little bit short against number nine, Virginia Tech. Uh, that was disappointing. And I wasn't there, but from what I was told, it was an incredible environment. Blackout at Jersey Mike's Arena. And, and for everything that Rutgers went through last year, I wrote about this. Like, they only had four home matches at Jersey Mike's. And Goodale took a little bit of heat from the fans because, you know, there just wasn't a big – a big draw. They went one and three at home and got killed in three of those losses. So this was like kind of their way to say, okay, fans, we booked this awesome non-conference match. We're going to give it to you. We're going to give it, give you guys our best effort. And then they just came out a little bit short. And so it was a little bit of a disappointment in my eyes. Like they, they really did lose out on a, a good opportunity to score a signature win. Yeah, uh, that's that's tough. Uh, that is a tough one. Obviously you would, you would like to get that on your belt because I know the big 10, doesn't give you many opportunities for that. So that's rough. Uh, women's basketball got a couple 20-point losses to uh, Seton Hall and Auburn. They might be taking a step back, Brian. Is that um, not a step back, but not taking as big a step forward as we thought? They beat all the bad teams they've mm-hmm. played, so that's a positive. Uh, but, yes, they were handled pretty pretty handily by two, I believe, two NCAA tournament teams from last year. Um They've had some good signs in their wins. The freshmen have played pretty well. Destiny Adams, the North Carolina transfer, has played okay. Um, I just don't think, much like these other teams that we talk about, they're quite there yet to beat a good team. So um, we will see. I think it's a little early in the season to tell. Five games in, we'll know more in January. All right. Good job, guys. Programming note, we'll be back. We're going to record this on Wednesday for our Picks Pod. Uh, So you'll have something to listen to as you're making your stuffing with cranberries for Thanksgiving dinner. Until then, we'll be back to preview Maryland and everything else. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone, sign up at nj.com slash insider.